maybe the biggest elephant that sits in the kind of collective mind of our generation of Americans is a really crucial question, and that is, where now is authority? Who has it? How do we know where to find it? And are we sure we even like it? <laughs> I know I speak for probably lots of other baby boomers in the room that we weren't even sure we actually liked the notion of authority, except for we did like our gas gauges to be authoritative, right? We did appreciate it when they actually told us authoritatively how much gas was in our tank. And even us baby boomers who are so anti-institutional, we liked our bank statements to actually be authoritative, that we didn't have approximately 17,000 in the bank, that we actually had a certain amount of money in the bank. And so the truth of it is that like almost any other aspect of, of human endeavor, authority, when you boil it down, has a moral component to it. It has a spiritual and moral and Godward component because if we're just honest about it this morning, we pick and choose authority, don't we? I mean, we kind of pick where we, we like it, where it suits us and it makes us feel secure about our gas or our money. And then in other places, we don't really like it. But in our day and age, this is especially true because there is no consensus about where authority is, who has it, who dispenses it, how does one grasp it, how certain can we be that we are actually grasping something authoritative. Um, it just sits, as I said, in our collective mind. Um, for instance, there was a time in human history where it was largely, I mean, it's never been fully, where it was largely agreed that the church was authoritative. But that got inconvenient when, this is a bit anachronistic, but when people like Galileo and Luke and Locke and Newton and people like that started discovering things about the universe, the cosmos, that the church taught differently, that caused a whole generation of people to shudder about where now is authority. Because the, the church used to say that the earth is flat and we know this is true because God is going to call from the east and west and south and north people. And, and so the church actually had a handful of proof texts from the Bible to prove that the earth was flat and whatever these ungodly demonic scientists were discovering, it can't be right because the Bible says the earth is flat. Well, so in a sense, you can say science destroyed the authority of the church. And now we've had a good long time, a generation or more, of philosophers destroying science and saying that you can no longer trust science. And so we live in a day where whether somebody actually consciously asks this question or not, subconsciously, in all of our minds, is this notion of where now is authority. And one of the reasons for me personally, I've loved this series in Revelation, is, become, is because what comes screaming into our life is this really powerful, authoritative, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, I started this story. And as easy as it is for you to lift your right hand, it was easy for me to say, let there be light, and there was light. And that Alpha who started this story, I am also the Omega, and I'm going to finish this. And this is, if you want it, if you want it, if you want it, this can become the authority for your life. You choose so. You know, so think of the pearl of the great price. 
Think of the parable of the treasure buried in the field. These were parables intended to clarify people's intention about their life. Do you want the treasure? Do you want the pearl? If so, you'll just do the basic things necessary to get it. You'll, you'll sell your other properties to get the land. You'll sell the pearls of lesser price to get the one authoritative pearl. The one thing that has the possibility of bringing coherence. The one thing that can actually make you safe. The one thing that you actually can rely on. And so Jesus stands in the middle of human history with all of its ups and downs. I'm not, I'm not down on the church. I'm not down on science. I'm not even down particularly on postmodern theorists. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying no matter what the ups and downs and ins and outs of all this throughout all human history, standing as the towering moral, spiritual creator and finishing person is the Lord Jesus Christ who says, if you want to, you can make me your authoritative teacher. If you want to, I'll become the authority of your life. I'll become the person and my teachings and way of being in the world, the thing that if you want, you can make authoritative. You can actually live as if you believe it's true. And this, of course, is what Jesus expected. When he's done with arguably the greatest moral teaching ever given in the history of the universe, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to the end of it, and I think I've told you this before, the Sermon on the Mount ends with this delightful little parable. If you hear these words of mine, and you don't place your confidence in them such that you live as if you believe they're true, then your life will be like someone who built a house on the sand. But if you hear these words of mine, if you find them beautifully authoritative, if you find them making sense of the world, your inner world and the external world with all of its evil and problems and making sense of the stuff that goes on in your own soul and you hear these words and you want to place your trust in them, if you want to rely on them, then you will be like a person, your life will be like a person who built their house on the rock. It will be able to withstand the storms that are inevitable in human life. And so these passages, they break in on us with this big, you know, all comprehensive narrative that ties everything in it from alpha to omega. And it kind of shouts to us, stay awake. You know, look at your passage, you're in Revelation. This is an urgent prophecy. These are trustworthy and true words. And they come from Jesus himself who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And, the, and it comes with this big warning, all these big, strong warnings. You know, don't take away from this. Don't add anything to it, meaning this is the authoritative word. It doesn't need any additives, you know, like a little salt to spice it up. Or you don't want to take something away from it because it's an inconvenient truth. But if you'll just let it sit there, it will have the effect of what we read in the psalm this morning. The Lord will reign, and his righteousness and justice will come into our life. For he is the Lord, most high over all the earth, exalted far above all gods. So whether you feel like this morning maybe you lack wisdom in something, you know, maybe you're struggling over a decision or Maybe this morning you're struggling with something in your life that you just can't get right and, and maybe you're a little frustrated and you know, kind of you know, lost your sense of, I'm not even sure I know where to begin. 
Well, you know, if, if you're sort of in that place at all this morning, I would just invite you. Here's a little public spiritual direction. I would just invite you to sit this week. Take a whole week and just sit with this thought. I'm a creature. Entirely indebted to God. Now, just sit with that thought. I'm a creature. And I emerged, not out of my own will, but out of the will of God, into this enormous story, Alpha and Omega. And I am entirely indebted to the author of that story and to the story that he is bringing to bear. And he says to John to give to the, the churches of John's day to remind them, I'm coming soon. And there's just a couple of thoughts that I want to give us here this morning that are, I think, the kind of things that could fall out of someone who makes God in his, in his story authoritative and who sees himself as a creature entirely indebted to that God in his story. There's a few things that come out of this. Look at your passage. First thing is rewards are real. That's just not some little Sunday school story. I will give to each person according to what they've done. That's real. That's reality. That's something you can rely on. Secondly, formation matters. That's the whole business of blessed are those who wash their robes. Washing their robes in the New Testament is a metaphor for righteousness. And so the idea here to keep going with what I've been saying this morning is that we have creation by Christ, Alpha, dominion by Christ, Omega, and we're wanting to get into that story. And all the, all the notion of formation alerts us to is that we're wanting to live our lives increasingly noticing the presence of God, that Alpha and Omega in his story, increasingly noticing his presence, what he's up to, and then living compatibly with that presence, being a part of God's activity in the world. Well, thirdly, again, if you look at your passage, judgment is real. And I know this is one of those things we don't really like today, and I don't, know, I don't know what exactly to say about this other than to say it's real. That outside are the dogs, that is to say those who just prey on society. That's what that means. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. All this is really saying is, again, you've got to choose what's authoritative to you. And for some people, what's authoritative to them is I only feel alive, I only feel human, I only feel either male or female when I'm engaged sexually. That, that's authoritative to me. Are you hearing me? It's really just that simple. Or I feel authority when I can manipulate and lie and therefore feel like I'm securing my life. That, that then becomes for them. For some people, manipulation is actually authoritative to them. It's actually the guide for their life. And there's judgment on that, it, just in the plain, simple sense that you can't be living in God's story in one of these other stories. And then for all of us Orange Countyans who grew up in the Jesus movement, um, the urgency is never gone, or at least should never be gone. I know Pat Robertson missed it. And I know that guy in the 1850s, I can't remember his name now, Miller, I think. I know he missed it. And uh, did I say Pat Robertson? I, I know how Lindsay missed it. I get it. But this was never meant to be about date setting. This was meant to be about living with the kind of urgency of the kingdom that's already here. And then like a, a telling people that it's okay when you're going through the kind of hardships that John's churches were, that you can live with this urgency that the Lord is coming. And so let those who are thirsty come, take the free gift of the water of life. And then the last thing, I just find it amazing 
They're like literally the last word of the Bible is grace. Isn't that cool? The very last word of the Bible is take a chill pill. Like, I know you don't get it. I know you don't always live in this story. But the last thing you want to do is become religiously neurotic. For the grace of that alpha and the omega is with God's people. Not a, I sort of like you, but you're all little idiots. You don't really live in my story very well. You're kind of jerks. Like, I've, I, I hear your thought life. No, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with his people, which is simply to say the positive, loving action of God is always with both the church, you know, universal, and me and you personally. So this Revelation series has been a wonderful reminder for me that the kingdom of God really is the structure of reality. And then we've got to consistently keep this reality, its unseenness, and its possible soon coming constantly before us because it's the basis for quiet, humble confidence and security. And then I just want to say in the minute I have left that what we do here at Holy Trinity, as far as we can, I mean, we're not perfect, obviously, but as far as we can, whatever we do in our liturgy and all our other activities, it is done to cooperate with that God who is the Alpha and the Omega and whose story we are trying to live in and to fit our life into. So we worship this one true God. And we take our lives that are sometimes like a square peg and we're trying to fit them into this round story and we round off the misshapen parts of our beings so that we can fit this story. And we receive God's grace sorry, his gifts, his grace, the gift of forgiveness, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of authority and power to work on his behalf. And we do all this for the sake of others, for those around us who need to come to or grow in their own faith. So we actually say, and I know we all come to church in different spaces. You know, some of you came, you know, confused or maybe needing healing or just in a great spot and couldn't wait to worship. No, we all come in different spaces. But as we come to the end of this series in Revelation, can we just say this afresh? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And maybe this morning your best way of praying that is a kind of ultimate come Lord Jesus, come for the sake of all creation. But maybe you're here this morning you would more pray come, Lord Jesus, for me, for my ongoing formation. Or maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, for someone who's on your heart and outside of faith. So take a moment here and pray, come, Lord Jesus. In an ultimate sense, that's what's real for you, for yourself, if that's what's real for you, or for someone on your heart who's outside of faith.